The writer of Hebrews said that, uh, wrote that we have an anchor within the veil that is both sure and steadfast. We understand a lot of times when a ship would try to get into harbor at low tide, that perhaps there would be a sandbar impeding their going into harbor. And so there would be those aboard the ship that would take the anchors and they would go on the other side of the sandbar and at high tide, uh, those anchors being sure and being steadfast, the, uh, the cables, the lines, the ropes would tighten up and at high time it would lift the ship and draw it over into the harbor uh, where the anchor was found. One of these days it's going to be high tide, right? Our anchor that is within the veil, in the veil is the Lord Jesus Christ. This thing's getting high at times. We're just going to cross right on over the sandbar one of these days. As old timers used to say, dock in heaven's harbor. I want to share a blessing with you. I shared with Miss Angie a little bit ago when she was um, playing for our offertory hymn. She played that old hymn, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. And I told her, and I don't say things like this because she is part of our congregation, but my mind went, went over 30 years back. And I was sitting where we moved to after we moved off the back. Amanda and I, we had a couple of babies at the time. It was right up here about the second row. And I won't ever forget Miss Onus, Miss Clara, those other ladies. When they would sing this song, there's just a way they'd sing it. And they'd feel that little building. And I'm telling you, I'd get, some people call it chill bumps or goose bumps, and I'd cry. But I can hear those ladies sing right now, that, that hymn. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But I want to read over the verses and the chorus of it. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he hath given, how beautiful heaven must be. In heaven, no drooping nor pining, no wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining, how beautiful heaven must be. Pure waters of life there are flowing, uh, and all who would drink may be free. Rare jewels of splendor are glowing, how beautiful heaven must be. The angels so sweetly are singing up there by the beautiful sea. Sweet chords from their gold harps are ringing, how beautiful heaven must be. Let chorus, how beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, how beautiful heaven must be. I've often wondered when someone crosses over after battling whatever they've battled here and God decides to wipe the sweat from the brow on the deathbed and call them on a cross, I've often wondered if they cross over and once they eat, uh, enter into the portals of glory, I've often wondered if they don't do like Peter did on the Mount of Transfiguration and just... Lord, it's good for me to be here. And then bow at the feet of Christ. Would you take your Bibles and turn with us again this morning to Luke chapter 5. Thank you for singing, Brother Lynn, and for leading our singing, Miss Angie, for playing. I want to finish what we started last week. We'll try not to be lengthy in doing so. We're interested in Peter's fishing encounter with Christ. It's not his only fishing encounter in the Gospels with the Lord Jesus Christ. This will be Luke 32 into the life and ministry of our Lord. Would you stand with us, please? Let's read Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Same text as last week. We didn't quite finish our first heading we were speaking under 
And we'll be speaking under three. We'll finish the first one, move into the two latter ones, and bring the message to a close. Peter's fishing encounter with Christ. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out uh, a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Thank you for standing. Peter's fishing encounter with Christ. We're speaking under three headings. I'm interested, of course, in where we were last week, the providential workings of Christ in the life of Simon Peter, verses 1, 2, and 3. Verses 4 to 7, the particular testings of Simon in this uh, experience that he has, this fishing experience. And then lastly, and we'll be very brief with it, I'm sure, verses 8 through 11, the personal realizations of Simon Peter in this fishing encounter with Christ. Simon Peter has experienced several experiences by this point. Some are recorded in the Word of God. Some are not recorded. He's heard the Lord Jesus. He's heard him preach. He saw him heal. He's witnessed him uh, cast out unclean spirits, devils. Uh, he's been privy, privy to some of these experiences that others perhaps have not. You remember, according to the Word of God, he meets uh, the Lord after his brother Andrew uh, introduces him to Christ, John chapter number 1. Uh, Peter's already experienced a follow-me call, as well as Andrew, James, and John prior to this experience. On this particular encounter with Christ, this fishing encounter, this fishing experience with Christ... Uh, this is going to change his, change his, um, his life. It's going to change his course. He's set now for Christ from Luke 5, 1 through 11 on. It does not mean that he will not be like you and I, that there will not be lapses and there will not be times of weaknesses and times where he ought to do better than what he does. But, uh, but at least uh, before him now, his path is that of serving Christ he comes to the conclusion, no doubt, in this passage of the sufficiency of Christ and he realizes his own insufficiency found within himself. Consider with me, we'll just touch on where we were last week and keep moving. 
but the providential workings of Christ in Simon's life. You remember in verse number one, we spoke of an inconvenient situation. There is the Lord Jesus by the lake of Gennesaret. He's on the shore, and the people press upon him. They're leaning upon him. In other words, they're insisting that he preach the word of God to them. Verses 2 and 3, there was the standing of the two ships and Christ entering into one of those ships, which was Simon's. And, of course, he asked Simon to push out a little from the shore. He does. And as he does so, he finds the solution to this inconvenient situation. The people could not all hear him or put their eyes on him as there are multitudes, no doubt, no doubt that have gathered around the lake shore trying to hear Christ. So his solution to the problem is to enter in the Simon ship, thrust out a little from the land, and now he can see everyone and they can see him. They can hear him because of the sounding board effect there on the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, Chinnereth, as the Old Testament would tell us, or as John the Apostle tells us, the Sea of Tiberias. And so he preaches to them. He has an answer for their problem. And he is the answer for your problem. He is the answer for my problem. Can I get an amen there? Whatever the problem is, he is the solution. And then the importance of the Word of God. We laid emphasis on that. And, of course, that's where we got to. Verse number 1 and verse number 5. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The Word of God will settle a lot of things for you, settle everything for you. It'll settle eternity for you. It'll settle time for you. It'll settle trial and triumph for you. It'll settle things in your home. It'll settle things on the job site. It will settle your witness. The Word of God will settle life and will settle death for you. I entered into the, uh, the sanctuary hospice to visit Wayne Hudson. Holly had sent me a message and asked me if I knew he was there a few days ago. And so I went over on Thursday morning and Friday morning and visited with Wayne. I used to be his pastor in the mid-90s. When I went in, two mutual friends, a man and his wife, were seated to my right, and his daughter Nancy was there to the left inside the door. And, of course, I shook hands and hugged necks and got tied up talking to the three of them. Then they began to talk among themselves, and I went to the bedside. I took uh, Brother Wayne by the hand, and I said, uh, Brother Wayne, uh, it's good to see you. How are you doing? He said, well, he said, uh, he said I can't complain. He said, I, I can't complain about this. He said, the Lord has given to me a full and uh, a life, a, a good life and full life, something to that effect. He said, I can't complain about where the Lord has me. And I thought, what a testimony that is. Brother Wayne's been faithful. He's been faithful for a lot of years. He's a member of First Baptist Church in Guntown, Mississippi. Far as I know, he's only been a member of one other church in his life. He's a gentle type of a man. He doesn't have a lot to say. Hard-working man. Invested well through the years. Cared for his wife and cared for his daughters. And, uh, but I thought, uh, when it comes time to go, what a way to go. To go with assurance. Matter of fact, he went on and told me, Brother Kevin, I don't know if I have six days or six months. That's all in the Lord's hands. But he said, I have nothing to complain about. What a blessing that is. The Word of God can settle that for you to, today. As a matter of fact, you ought to study the Bible. You ought to read the Bible and find Christ. You'll find him in the Word of God. Not only there, but in verse number 5, And Simon answering, and, uh, answering said unto him, Master, we have told all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, at thy word, Lord, at thy word, I will let down 
the net. And, of course, that's where we closed last week, wasn't it? We don't do what we do uh, because things look uh, favorable or feel good. Life is good. But we do what we do because the Lord told us to. Uh, he could have offered up a lot of excuses. Maybe I'll touch on that again here in a little bit. Uh, but he said, um, "He said, tell you what, he said, at thy word, just because you said so, you told me to, I'm going to do right. I'm going to do what you've told me to do. That no matter what others might do, I'm going to do this. Maybe a feeble attempt at it, but I'll do the best I can to do what you've told me to do. An inconvenient situation, the importance of the word of God and then, at least in my heart, and I think you will conclude the same, there's the indisputable evidence that Jesus has Simon in his sights. I often refer to the double call that Simon received in Scripture. You hear that periodically from me. I think one reason why is because of the warning that Jesus gave to Simon when he gave that double call. There are seven humans that have received that. There are some cities that have received that. And even God the Father received a double call or a double cry from, from Christ. Abraham received a double call when the Lord uh, spoke to him about offering up Isaac, his son of promise, on Mount Moriah. Jacob received a double call. He said, Jacob, Jacob. Moses received a double call at the burning bush in Exodus chapter number 3. Little Samuel, as just a little boy, received a double call in the night from God as God from heaven called his name audibly twice. Uh, Martha in the New Testament, as she was cumbered about much serving, she was caught up in what she was doing and wasn't caught up in Christ, and Jesus corrected her. But she, he began that by saying, Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about much serving. She's, he said, Martha, you're distracted, Martha. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the meal, appreciate the home, appreciate the hospitality, but you're missing the main part. I'm here, and Mary hath chosen that part. You remember Saul of Tarsus, yet breathing threatenings and slaughter on the road to Damascus about midday received a double call. From the cross of Calvary, it was the father that heard the Lord Jesus cry out and say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Quoting from that to Psalm, Psalm number 22 of the Old Testament. And then Simon Peter, Satan had Simon in his crosshairs. And uh, Jesus gave him a stern warning, didn't he? Simon's been the emphasis on many occasion as far as studies go and Sunday school lessons and sermons and sermon series and books. I've got as many books on the life of Simon Peter as I do on the Apostle Paul, probably. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts, the transitional book, the transitional history book of our New Testament, you can divide the book of Acts and uh, under the heading, the ministry of Peter and the ministry of Paul, because those two men dominate, their movings dominate. The Spirit of God dominates the movements and the preaching under uh, from these two men throughout the 28 chapters uh, of the book of Acts. Here in this scene, in Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, now there's no doubt there's people here that need to be helped. There's a multitude that want to hear the Word of God, and so it's incumbent upon Christ to preach the Word of God. It's also incumbent upon him to help the four. He knows the plans that he has for the four. I call them the four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, the four, now there will be the three later on that you'll see, Peter, James, and John. But the four thus far, there's an emphasis on them. And concerning ministry to come in the days ahead, there's, there's, there's the four that needs to be helped, no doubt about it. There's fish that needs to be caught. 
Simon missed them in his nets in the night. Andrew missed them with their nets. And Peter and John, the sons of Zebedee, they missed them in the night. People to be helped before needed to be helped and their fish to be caught. But a special project must be Simon. Let me show you why I say that. Look with me at verse number 3. Notice six times in today's text, he doesn't mention Andrew the first time. He barely mentions James and he barely mentions John, but six times he mentions Simon. Have you ever felt like the searchlight from glory was fixed just on you? Have you ever felt like God had you in his crosshairs or you was the subject of discussion somehow in the presence of God or you were the focus of God or the working of the Holy Spirit as he pulls you toward himself? Look, if you will, verse number three, and he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's, and prayed that him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Then when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, didn't say it unto anybody else, but he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. Verse number five, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Verse number 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Then in verse number 10, the last two times, that Simon's name is given to us in today's text. Then verse number 10, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. You'd almost think if you zeroed in on these six times that Simon's name comes up in the text, that though there's a crowd and though there's four that's going to be used of the Lord in days and weeks and months and years to come, that somehow Jesus makes this about he and Simon. It's amazing how the Lord does that. This fishing encounter with Simon that that he has with the Lord Jesus Christ, it again will set the course for his life. It's amazing how God works in the lives of his people, isn't it? I not only gave you the lyrics or the words to the old hymn that Miss Angie was playing for our offertory hymn, but i tell you one I've got in the back of my Bible under a paper clip. I, I, I flip a lot of times. I flip back and read through it. I ought to know it by memory by now. That's Cooper, William Cowper or Cooper, however you choose to pronounce it. The words to that old hymn that he wrote, God moves in a mysterious way. I love that that, that hymn. Uh, Cowper or Cooper, he, he dealt with darkness much of his life, wrote a number of hymns that are so powerful and Christ-exalting, but he wrote uh, uh, most of them from a place of despair. He wrote, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. That blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. In his latter years, Cowper was known to say, God will make plain his bright plans for your life. And God does do that, and he does that even in the text here with Simon Peter. He's going to walk away from everything, and he's going to follow Christ. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but oftentimes through the years, I cannot quite 
connect the dots as to what God's doing in my life. And though I cannot connect the dots, I'll promise you God has them connected. God is like a sculptor looking into, looking into a great stone and all you see is an old rough looking stone that is weather beaten. But yet he knows how he'll take his chisel and over time he'll work and bring something out of that. He's like an artist who sits down with a blank canvas knowing in his mind's eye what he sees. Or he's like a potter that sits down at the wheel and reaches into the darkness and pulls his clay from the ground and puts it upon the wheel and applies pressure. He knows how much pressure to put. Or, or he's like a refiner that is sitting at the refiner's pot after mining some gold or silver, whatever it may be. He knows how hot to heat the pot to. And he pulls the impurities as it begins to melt in that, uh, in that pot. Psalm number 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Uh, right beside the verse, and, and George Mueller of Bristol in, in his Bible, right next to the verse and the phrase in his Bible, Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. George Mueller of Bristol wrote, and the stops too. He penciled those in. Sometimes God's way of getting us where we need to be is to stop us, and sometimes it is to start us. Sometimes it is to help us along the journey. Sometimes it is to hinder, after all. He is the God who opens doors that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. The Bible says here, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Doesn't that give you some hope today, child of God? Have you ever disappointed the Lord and felt like, well, I've fallen and I've fallen for the final time. But you see, the thing about it is it's not that you're hanging on to him. It is that he's hanging on to you. And Jesus does not throw his people away. But dear heart, he works in their lives to minister to them and make them and conform them to the image of God's dear son. I was thinking about whenever my children were little and we'd go to a hotel, maybe on vacation or to a Bible conference, they'd always want to get in the pool like some of yours does. When they were little fellas, they could get in the kiddie pool and you didn't have to worry about them. But then they'd take courage and want to get in the big pool, right? I'd get in there with them and hold their hands but then as we began to enter into deep water, they'd get up in my arms. And the deeper we would go, the more they'd rest on my bosom, the more they'd rest in my arms. And so it is with our Lord. The deeper the water, the more we learn to rest on him. The Lord knows where he's taking us. May we rejoice in wherever that might be. In bringing the, the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23, the Bible says, And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. He said, I brought you out that I may bring you in. In Deuteronomy 11, verse number 11, when we thought it would all be pie in the sky and just, you know, everything would be of, of, of sweet fragrance in life in this journey with Christ, he reminded them in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 11, but the land whether you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Though there be hills and there be valleys, we do have a God that makes every track along the way with his children. It is no accident that we find ourselves here with Simon Peter. It is no accident that verse 1 reads, the people pressed upon Christ to hear the word of God. It is no accident that the Bible says he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And as a matter of fact, in this particular spot, it is no accident that verse number 2 says that there were two ships standing by the lake. 
It is no accident that in verse number 2 that the fishermen are still on the scene washing their nets. And it is no accident that he asks for Simon's ship and enters therein and will begin a conversation after he finishes preaching with Simon Peter himself. Have you ever looked around in life as a child of God and wondered, how did I get here? How did I wind up where I am? How did I get in the very place where I am even on this Sunday morning? Have you ever looked around in life? Uh, Somebody asked me years ago if I could prove that there was a God, if I could prove to them there was a God. And I said, I can't prove to you there's a God. The Bible never sets out to do such of a thing, but I can prove to me there's a God. Looking around in my life at where he's brought me from, I do not have foreknowledge. He has that. He knows the end from the beginning. He's declared the end from the beginning. Uh, But what he did give me was a memory. As a matter of fact, if I understand the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be partially responsible for what's locked up in my memory, what I've been exposed to as far as the truth of the word of God. Now, I tell you, look back, looking back over memory lane, as some calls it, I can see the hand of God working at different times in different ways and in different avenues in my life. I can prove to me there's a God. I can look around at the truth of the word of God and see it applied to my life and watch God moving in and out and uh, watch God uh, uh, doing a work in my life. Consider with me not only the providential workings of Christ in the life of Simon Peter, but consider with me, if you will, the particular testings of Simon Peter in this fishing experience. Concerning testing, we've all said it over and again. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. This experience will prove Simon Peter in some areas of his life. There are some vital areas that Christ will touch He's working in Simon Peter's life right under his very nose, and he doesn't suspect a thing. I have found it to be often that way in my own life. God putting things together, taking things apart, bringing people into my life, removing people from my life. The ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. God just working in my life and putting me to the test. Simon Peter is tested in the area of priority. Some people look to serve Christ only when it is convenient. I don't know how many times I was thinking about this yesterday, seated at my desk. I don't know how many times that over 20 years of Thursday night teachings in the spring and the fall with uh, preacher boys. There's been over 500 come through. Last count we had over 22 years of it. And I don't know, I've said it every semester, sometimes multiple times, but I've told those young men, if you want to serve at Christ, there'll be a lot of sunny Saturdays when, when others are out playing nine holes of golf and you're going to be in your study. There'll be a lot of sunny Saturdays when others are out uh, in in a bass boat on Graham uh, or maybe on Grenada Lake or down at Sardis Lake. You won't be there. You'll be in your study trying to get a word, studying the word of God, wrestling with the text, praying for the people by name that you pray for or that you preach to. A lot of sunny Saturdays like that in my life. As a matter of fact, most Saturdays and Wednesdays all day long, I'm in the study. I may walk out in the yard to try to sort through something. But most Wednesdays and most Saturdays, if you were to come knock on my front door, I wouldn't hear you. It's an air conditioner runs beside me. I, I wouldn't hear you. But if you were to knock on the end door on the south end of our house or the end window, that's where you will find me. As a matter of fact, it's been a holy place for me these last 11 plus years. We've thought about even considered building a house, a small house, uh, my wife, I'm sure, will outlive me, and I don't want her to have to call a plumber every year or call a roofer. Or I'd like to take care of that. And, but then again, uh, God has blessed us in the house where we live, and we're grateful to be there, very grateful to be there. 
serving Christ a lot of times will prove to be a conflict with this world. As a matter of fact, may I ask you, who do you choose in your life? Do you choose Christ? Do you choose his work? Do you choose following him? Or do you bow to the influences in your life? There are a lot of voices in this world, right? If we brought a radio receiver in here, we would hear voices that would sing rock music to us or rap music or country music or we could listen to talk radio. A lot of voices in this world, even in this very room, if you had the ability to listen to them. But may the voice that we listen to be the voice of the Lord. Often we settle for the world instead of settling for Christ and the things of Christ. A lot of folk don't want to serve him today because it's inconvenient to put him first and to put the world uh, in our rearview mirror. In verse number, th- in verse number two, you'll find that, that it's not necessarily convenient for Christ, uh, for Peter to serve Christ right now. In verse number two, he's busy. Verse number two says, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. It's part of wrapping up a night of fishing. They would have washed and mended anything that needed to be mended and readied themselves for the next night of fishing with their nets. Verse number five, no doubt Simon is tired after a night's toil. Verse number five says, and Simon answering, has said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. It speaks that this word toiled speaks of exhausting labor. In other words, um, fishing the way that Simon and, and his brother Andrew and James and John would have done. We understand that their nets would have been, would have been sometimes an eighth of a mile long or a quarter of a mile long, sometimes even as much as a half mile long. And they would take two ships and, and one would, uh, one would take up one end and remain stationary. And the other ship would take the end of the net and go out a ways and stretch the net. They would lower the nets and then they would make their way towards shallow water or even towards shore. So they fished the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. He's tall. This would have been exhausting. They didn't have, they didn't have gas powered engines or diesel powered engines. It was manpower, sheer manpower as they would row and oar themselves back toward the shore. Peter said, we've told all night. We've been at it all night, Lord. We've rowed all night. We've dropped these nets and moved them toward the shore. We've done it again and again. We've done it all night. He was busy. Verse two, verse number five. No doubt he's tired. Probably in verse number five, he's a bit discouraged by this point. He said, we've told all night, Lord, taking nothing. I imagine Simon Peter had very few nights like that where he'd come up empty-handed. For his labor, he had nothing to show for it all night long. And by the way, talking about the providential workings of Christ in the life of Simon Peter, I'm convinced that the night of toil taking nothing was just as much a part as the conclusion in verse number 11 that you'll find. Sometimes he lets us scrape the bottom and find nothing there, doesn't he? So that he may do a work in our lives and draw us into his wonderful self. Simon was tested in the air of his possessions. Verse number three, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Jesus asked Simon's, he asked for Simon's ship as a platform and as a pulpit. Peter yields his ship for Jesus to use as he preaches to the people on the shore. Somehow I think if Jesus had said, Simon, I don't need your ship. I need your cloak and I need your shoes. Somehow I think that Simon would have given it to him. You ever heard somebody say, I know you've heard it. You've said it. I've said it a number of times. Well, that old boy, 
He's so good-hearted, he'd give you the shirt off his back. In these moments, I think uh, the Lord is testing Peter. I'm convinced he would have given him, would have given the Lord the shirt off of his back. There are many people that won't serve Christ because of what it will cost them. Now, the Lord doesn't ask everybody to walk away from worldly success or the business world or anything like that. He doesn't ask everybody to leave their jobs and go the mission field, but sometimes he does. Sometimes he asks people to walk away from everything that they know or everything that is before them and serve him in a way that they've not previously done. Such a man like that was William Borden, who was destined to to inherit the Borden Empire. They're known worldwide. Their influence has been a worldwide influence. William Borden, after he finished school, his parents sent him around the world, let him travel around the world, expense paid. Whenever he got home, he told his parents of the impression made upon his life by the mission works around the world. He then announced to his parents that he felt like that mission work was what God had called him to. And of course, they tried to, they tried to talk him out of it. They told him you could support countless missionaries from your profits through, uh, through the family company. And Borden, of course, he kept his Bible handy after the conversation with his parents. He prayed about it and, and thought about it. He opened the flyleaf of his Bible and he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, no reserves. They tried to talk to him a number of times about not going the mission field. Of course, when it come time for him to board the ship and then later board the cabin in which he would travel to the mission field, his, uh, some of his folk were there and still tried to talk what they considered to be reasoning to him and uh, told him it was not too late. He could cancel his part of the trip and stay stateside and support missionaries around the globe with the profits from the family company. Later on that night, he prayed about it again and in his cabin while cruising at sea right under where he had written no reserves, he wrote no retreat. He gets to the mission field is only there a short time when he becomes terminally ill. And then they set him on a ship and send him back to the States. His family gathered around him again, keeping his Bible handy. They talked about what a waste the young man, what a waste his choices in life. But he knew God had called him to the field. He knew that, he knew that God had a purpose in that. And part of that purpose is that missionaries around this world have been inspired to give their all because of William Borden. He asked for his Bible and took a, uh, took a pen and wrote uh, where he had written no reserves and no retreat. He wrote under there before he would die some days later, no regrets. J.A. MacDonald would write, it is Christ-like to forego opportunities of this world for the kingdom's sake. How do you walk away from it all, preacher? How do you walk away? If there's a consuming call in a man's life, uh, you, you have to walk away. I mean, you have to walk away from it all. I've been asked at times if I would go into sales jobs or something like that. Can you see me, a salesman? I can't sell anything. I'd give everything away. When my, uh, at times, there have been times we had thought about maybe trying to buy something and rent it out. I couldn't do it. First time somebody fell on hard times, I'd have to go get a job and pay their rent for them and their light bill. That's just the way that I'm geared. Somebody said something uh, to Amanda a few years back, and I looked at the gentleman. I said, look, she gives everything we've got away, and I have no problem with that. God's been good to the both of us. As a matter of fact, at times when there was nothing, God saw to it that we had something. I've lived from God's hand to my mouth a many a time. There'll always be enough. And there are men all around this globe that have preached the gospel of Christ today and that have walked away. And that have walked away from so much. When you realize that life is a gift. 
You want me to say it again? It fits again right here. God owes us nothing. Life is a gift, friend. It's not a right. It is a gift. Do you have some rights as a citizen of these United States of America? You have some rights as a citizen of this state and this county. But as far as to life, we don't have a right to it. God grants it and gives it to us. We live and move and have our being at his good pleasure. Simon also is tested in small ways in the text. Don't miss this. He reminds me that little is much when God is in it. It's amazing. As I quoted Jim Busby last Sunday, I've heard him say this over the years many times. It's amazing. You just put forth a small effort and God bless it in a great way, in ways that you never imagined. Solomon said it is the little foxes that spoil the vines in Song of Solomon too. And that's right, isn't it? If you ever see anybody fail in a moral failure, if you ever see them fail in what our society considers big sins or scandalous sins, I'll promise you there was a trail behind them. There was a trail of little foxes back there. And that didn't happen upon them. And that became, that become easy for them to reach because there were some little sins along the way. There were some, there were some, uh, some temptations you were unaware of that they yielded to. You let a man, you let him fall to sexual sin or you let him fall to some monetary scandal. He didn't just fall today. That's been going on behind the scenes. There's been well-laid plans and the snares of the devil have caught up to him now. You mark that down. Did you know so it is with somebody that serves God faithfully for 40 years and 50 years and 60 years of life? And uh, they've, they have finished their journey well. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, notice what, uh, notice what uh, the Lord says to Simon Peter. By the way, let me say something here. I think one of the greatest detriments you can do to a young Christian, especially a young man, is let him make a profession of faith. And then the next five Sundays, put him speaking at brotherhood somewhere or put him behind a pulpit. I've never seen that work out good for any young man. He needs to get his feet on the ground. He needs to learn his ABCs. He needs to learn to pray and give and read his Bible and be faithful to his church, his local church. He needs to learn some things. Don't throw him in the lion's den. Or the den of lions is a difference in that. Right out of the bat. I've never seen that work long run, work well for anybody. Notice, notice if you will, verse number three. The Lord says after he enters into Simon's ship, thrust out a little from the land. Doesn't seem like much, does it? Look at verse 4. If he had not thrust out a little from the land, there'd be no, in verse number 4, launch out into the deep. If there'd be no thrust out a little from the land and launch out into the deep, there would be no let down your nets in verse number 4. And then after these three marks of obedience in Peter's life, if he doesn't pass these tests, there's going to be no great harvest of fish. Luke 16, 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in, in much. Peter's been faithful in little. The Lord's going to use him to accomplish much. Too often, fellas think they're too big to do little small tasks for the Lord. Isn't that something? My mom used to say, she used to tell me I'd pick on my sister or something. She'd say, son, you're getting a little too big for your britches. And she had a peach switch that was the right dose of medicine to fix my problem. And I wasn't too big for my britches no more when she got through with me. 
we'd go around. She was the one making the round go. She was the one working the switch. You ever been sent out? Some of us old enough to remember being sent out for the switch and come back with a little twig. That proved wrong for us too, didn't it? Some of us remember those days. I remember um, before moving on, I, I remember, I, as sincere as I know how to be about this, I, I remember not long after being saved. First time my, my pastor called on me to pray. I think about all I did was cry. I was overwhelmed. Those folk were so good to me and Amanda. I mean that. I was, I was overwhelmed. They was, some of them had to know where I came from, what I'd been into prior to being saved. Yet they loved us in spite of me. I, I remember the Sunday, the, the first Sunday that our pastor called on myself and a man just a couple of years older than me uh, by the last name of Russell to take up the offering that morning. I was so nervous. I, I'm sure I had sweat on my brow and running down my face. I'm t I was so nervous. I had so grateful to do something for God down at the church. Don't ever forget where God has brought you from. Don't ever forget where God has brought you from. The folk at Troy Baptist Church recently in revival, I think it was on Tuesday night. I think it was Tuesday night. Maybe it's one of the other nights, but I think it was Tuesday night. I mentioned uh, David behind your house between there and Troy First Baptist. There's a red uh, clay, red hill gully. It's a washout down where uh, used to be a garden down at the end of that garden. It's right there in the woods, a little bit of woods between there and, and the church. And, and I remember as a five-year-old boy, I didn't want the Denton girls. I didn't want my sister. I, I didn't want the Irby boys to see me cry. And that's where I'd go to cry. And sometimes when the leaves are off in the fall, these years that we have been there, I look over there. David and I, we live close enough. If I still had a good arm, I just about think I'd throw a rock as over to his house. I'm sure he feels the same way. We live that close. But sometimes I look when the leaves are off and I can see right about where I go down in that. I don't ever want to forget. I remember as a little toe-headed boy in Troy. My mama left my daddy. And I was five. Tammy was four. Uh, I won't ever forget uh, my mom and my pa buying a bicycle. And I had That's my first bicycle. I remember jumping off that thing barefoot and stumped my big toe. I thought I tore half my foot off. That doesn't mean anything much to anybody else here, but I don't tell you it means something to me. I remember, I remember being raised. My biological father's been in and out of prison most of my life. As a matter of fact, when Amanda and I were courting, he was in the federal prison in, in Seagoville, Texas. I talked to him a couple of times on the phone. We went up and met him, saw some things that just we felt like we were to get away from. And... Uh, I don't ever forget growing up being told you're going to turn out to be just like your daddy. That doesn't work too good on a little boy's mind. And uh, I don't ever want to forget where I come from, what God's brought me from, what he's done in my life. I don't ever want to forget. I don't ever want to forget the basics when I learned them of Bible study and prayer and church attendance and tithing and giving and offering. I remember I used to pastor. I'm going to close here in a second. I'm not going to finish today either. I was pastoring up Thrasher. Another one of my buddies, Ronnie Johnson, we call him Runt. He had the highest uh, scoring 
average for years until they put the three-point line in the high school game. Ronnie's the best pure shooter I've ever watched play. Basketball, myself and the Deacons would play the juniors and seniors at Thrasher out in the gym about once a year. We'd have a cookout and enjoyed ourselves. Ronnie'd shoot the lights out. I won't ever forget Ronnie. Ronnie grew up in the sharecropper's home. There were eight of those boys. He said, Brother Fred, his, his daddy was saved late in life. He said, Brother Fred told all them boys, said, don't, uh, y'all don't ever jump in, the, jump in these ponds and creeks around here till you first learn to swim. Well, unto God, how are you going to learn to swim if you don't get in the water? And he told me many a time, he heard a man to talk about being afraid of water. He said, preacher, he wouldn't let us in the ponds. And I never will forget, I was preaching on tithing and giving an offering and what the two meant. And he come up to me at the close of the service. He said, he said, I will never forget telling Sandy. He said, Brother Danny Sparks was pastor here. And he said, he preached on tithing. And he said, I, I marked in my Bible where he preached from out of Malachi. He said, I never had heard that in my life. He said, tithing, what, what's tithing? And he said, he went home and said, he asked, he asked Sandy. He said, I've never heard a sermon on tithing. He said, he said, what is tithing? And she said, well, Ronnie, that's a tenth of the increase. And the Bible teaches we can, we can go farther on 90% because of God's promise and we can the 100. God lets us keep the 90 and ask for a tenth. Uh, he, all he asks for is the 10, and, and he gets his gospel around the world on 10 cents on the dollar that his people make. And he said, well, Sandy, I don't know how we're going to do it, but if it's in the Bible... It basically was like Simon Peter in the text, nevertheless at thy word. He was crying when he told me. He said, preacher, he said, I told her, I don't know how we're going to do it. don't know how we can afford it. But if God said it, that's just what we're going to do. And he said, I won't ever forget. I've heard him tell it several times. But he said, and some of us will identify. But he said, we started the very next week tithing. And he said, that's all we can do is tithe. We couldn't go beyond that and give an offering. He said, we started the very next week tithing. He said, I worked down at the Cheese Factory, Marathon Cheese, for years. He said, Sandy, of course, worked there at the school as secretary. He said, we didn't have to buy much gas for her, but occasionally, he said, uh, we'd start the week out, and I'd wonder, how in the world am I going to get to work this week? He said, I had an old truck. And he said, about Tuesday or Wednesday, he said, Sandy would go digging in her purse. He said, there'd be a couple of dollars in there. And he said, sometimes she'd, she'd find something in the washing machine. He said, there was always enough. And, of course, the Lord blessed them and blessed them abundantly since. Here's what I'm saying. Simple obedience to God. We're all tested there, aren't we? Can I just mention two or three and just, I'm closing. He's tested with but little light. All the Lord told him was what Lily told him. And he minded him. That's the way the Lord tests all of us. He was testing regarding onlookers. Onlookers have opinions and they share them with others. Onlookers are critical. <laughs> onlookers do what onlookers do. He's fishing at the wrong time of the day in the wrong place, and everybody's on shore looking at him. And yet he does what the Lord told him to do. And I'm going to tell you, that's one great trial of serving the Lord, having to just walk on and wait, knowing God's called you to it, and just be quiet and labor on for the Lord. He's tested in the area of cooperation. He's going to call for James and John to come help them. Some folk wouldn't help other folk if it saved their life. 
But I'm going to tell you, God put, this, put us in this thing together, did he not? The providential workings of Christ in the life of Simon Peter, the particular testings of Simon Peter in this fishing experiences. Then there are the personal realizations. I'm only going to mention it, and I'm done. Personal realizations that Peter t- takes away from this. Number one, he comes away from this experience with a high view of Christ. He's going to bow at his knees. He'll come away with a proper view of himself. Jesus said, said nothing of sin. Peter said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Sometimes people will say, preacher, you should have said this while you were there. You should have said that while you were there. I don't have to say it. If I'll mind the Lord, the Holy Spirit can say it. If I'll present Christ, so Brother Eugene, Brother Kennedy Digby used to preach, if I'll present Christ for the crisis, he can say it. After all, it is his work. And Peter realized Christ's calling upon his life, verse number 10, and he realized that Christ could do more with his life than he could. A few weeks back, I came across the story of the Polish composer and pianist, concert pianist, um, his name escapes me uh, just now. But they had sold out a concert hall, and he had his grand piano moved to the concert hall. A lady had just enrolled her son, Podorowski. That's his name, Podorowski. A lady had just recently enrolled her son in piano lessons. She thought it would be good for him to hear the concert pianist. So she took him and set two or three rows off the front got there early, began talking to someone she was seated by, and she didn't realize it, but her little boy slipped down out of the chair, got backstage, wound up at the grand piano playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Some thought uh, it was cute, somewhat sentimental. Some were aghast. They felt like surely the lady should have kept her eye on her child a little better. Uh, The composer and pianist in the back realizing what happened the mother trying to get backstage and onto the stage, Podorowski, he realized what was taking place. And so he come out of the back and simply slipped up behind the child and said, don't stop. He reached his right hand around his right side and he began to play and accompany the little boy. Here in a little bit, he joined around on his left-hand side and began to play. He kept telling the boy, don't stop, keep playing. They kept playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, played it for upwards, I believe it was about 10 minutes time. And whenever they finished, He said, now let's stop. Everybody stood to a standing ovation, stood for the little boy and the famous composer and pianist. I'm going to tell you what Simon Peter learns here. It's what we all have to learn somewhere in life. We cannot do this on our own, can we? But with the Lord's arms wrapped around us, following his commands, he gives the ability and the strength to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish, whether it be teach a Sunday school class, sing a song, play a piano, read the scriptures, give the public reading of the scriptures, keep the church clean and keep the grounds clean. Whatever it is that he has called us to do, if we'll yield ourselves to him, he can take even twinkle, twinkle, little star and get honor unto himself. Would you stand please?